It's wonderful to have you all here this morning on Mother's Day, and uh, to all the moms, thank you. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you, Lisa, for being the mom of our kids and all your love and warmth that you bring into the home. So, moms are amazing. Um, I was raised by a single mom and um, just uh, saw, I think the thing that shocked me about being raised by a single mom was when I became a dad and all of a sudden could not fathom how my mom did what she did. Like I still can't fathom how she did what she did. She just like did everything all the time, nonstop and worked a full-time job. So uh, moms are amazing. They're just like superhumans. So bless all the moms uh, this morning. So we're going through the Jesus Movement, our series on um, the book of Mark. And we kind of in the section where uh, there's a number of different stories come and each story poses a question. Um, so we're still in that, quest, in that kind of section. But before we get to that, I wanna ask you a question this morning and you can try and answer it, is when you think of the kingdom, or Christianity, what images come to mind? What is the first image that comes to mind? Anyone? A robe? A robe. Dog collar. Why do I not have that? That would have been cool. A robe? A cross? Purity? Jesus? Satan? Oh, yo, yo, Eugene. Eugene's gone dark very fast. Wow. Okay. Well, things got hectic. We better bring this back. So last night, I finally, finally, after much encouragement, uh, maybe to some of your guys' shock, I finally, finally watched John Wick. I've, I, there we are. Eugene, thank you, thank you. It's, uh, it's taken a long time, but the fourth one's just come out and I was like, gosh, I need to find out what this series is about and why it's such a big hype. So I watched the first one and there's a scene in the first one where he goes to go and destroy the kind of like mob boss's cash store. And what does he do? He walks into a church. And don't you love it like how movies portray like what churches should look like? And he walks into a church and there's all these guys on their knees. It's so quiet and somber, all like quiet and prayer. And the church is like big with these massive high ceilings and stained glass windows. And often what, when we think of Christianity, we think of a stained glass window. We think of big, massive cathedrals. We think of maybe breaking of bread, you know, like the chalice and the plate at the front of, of uh, uh, the, the church service. Or, or maybe we think of someone praying, like they try to show in John Wick, you know, the, the guys praying in the front. I mean, all their hands were tattooed. Everyone knew they were gangsters, like <laughs> they weren't hiding it. But um, But you may think like, this is your picture of church. It's quiet, it's somber, someone is praying. Or 
what we see in, in this kind of narrative, we may think of fasting, self-denial, the, the, the denial of self. Christianity is not about what you get, it's about what you give up in one sense. And we, we think about that or this very, um, you know, the picture relevant to this passage is the picture of fasting. And, um, and so the question, like we said, each story poses a question to Jesus. Over the last four stories, we've got two more to go, but of, of each of the six stories, there's a question that's posed to Jesus. The first, Jesus. the first question was, Jesus, can you make me clean? That was the first question. Leper comes to Jesus. Jesus, can you make me clean? And the question is not about healing per se. It's about the asking if Jesus can bring him back into the community. Remember, a leper had to be declared clean, had to be declared clean before they could enter back into society. The question he's asking is, Jesus, can you welcome me back in? I've been an outcast for so long. The second, and we know the answer to that, we've covered that. The second question was, Jesus, how can you Essentially, how can you forgive someone's sins? And it's a question about Jesus' authority or who he is. And then the question we covered last week, um, which has just totally gone out my mind, <laughs> was, was, the, was who do you associate with Jesus? Like how can you eat or celebrate with sinners and tax collectors. And we see something of the mission of the kingdom and how Jesus invites these people in. And here's an interesting question. It's the question of how is it that John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees are fasting, but not yours? It's a question that is posed not just by the Pharisees, it's posed by John's disciples and the Pharisees. They come and they ask Jesus, how is it that we are fasting and you are not? And now this sounds like a good question because if you remember we fasted at the beginning of the year and we did a four day fast and this is the kind of question you wanna ask when you walk into work while fasting and everyone's having a party and you're like, how can you have a party while I'm fasting. Like, this is not, like when you're fasting, there's this thing that you, you're like, why are you not fasting? Like, why am I giving this up and you're not? And you can imagine John's disciples and the Pharisees, they come together and they're like, yo, we, we are suffering out here. We're giving up stuff. We're doing this for, you know, for God. Like, and look at you guys. You guys are eating and drinking and celebrating and hanging out. Like, we're going through a tough time and you guys just look like you do not care. You've got no cares in the world. You can imagine Jesus and his disciples like feed up, you know, eating their loaves of bread and their, their stuff, drinking their wine. Like, you can imagine they are as relaxed as can be. And this is kind of like really hits these guys who are fasting the wrong way. And they're like, how is it that we're doing all this stuff and you guys are just so absolutely casual about everything? 
And uh, one of the first things that we notice about this passage, which is really, really interesting, is John's disciples and the Pharisees team up here. This is an important point. They team up. And it's an important point because at the beginning, like when John the Baptist is introduced, not, not in Mark, but in John and Luke, like when John the Baptist is introduced, I mean, he's tuning the Pharisees when they come to him. He's like, you brood of vipers, who warned you to bewitch the coming wrath? I mean, like, how's that for, for a tuning? Like, you brood of vipers. Like, I wouldn't like anyone to say that to me. I rock up at church, like, you brood of viper, you know? Who warned you? And you're like, oh dear, I am unwelcome. Like, so for them to be teaming up is a big deal. Mark is telling us something here. He's not just saying, and this is important to note, he's not just saying the uptight religious Pharisees are irritated with Jesus. He's also saying that the sincere disciples of John the Baptist are slightly irritated and can't understand what's going on. And they've teamed up because they're both fasting. The Pharisees are fasting and uh, uh, you know, commentators will say they're probably fasting for their own reason out of tradition and religious kind of ritual. The Pharisees would fast probably every Wednesday and Friday. Um, they, would, they would fast and uh, you know, as we know from Jesus, they would probably show everyone that they were fasting, but weekly they would fast. John the Baptist's uh, disciples are probably fasting because they're repenting. Remember, the central message of John the Baptist is repent, and they're probably fasting out of their association with repentance because fasting is connected with repentance throughout the Old Testament. So they're probably fasting in obedience to John's message um, and are fasting, and they there's like a time when they're fasting together and they're looking like, yo, we're sincere, we're repenting. The Pharisees are like, we're sincere, we're obeying the traditions of you know, the whole of Judaism. And, uh, and look at Jesus' disciples, they're having a party. Like, what is going on? It's a bit like if you go to church every Sunday and all of a sudden you like hear that your mates are hanging out at some party and you're like, what are you, like, I'm at church. Every Sunday, why are you inviting me to this event when I, here I am, I'm trying to do the right thing. These guys are irritated. They've, like in some ways, they're a bit frustrated by Jesus' disciples. Jesus, why are your disciples having a good time while we are trying to take this faith seriously? We are fasting. And um, I don't know, what it is, but um, probably in all of us, there's this thing that, like, I don't know, might just, you find yourself coming up within you at times. When you see someone else in the church that seems to be taking their faith a little bit more casually than yours. When you've given up something, maybe you've fasted and you've given up something for a period and they just like, they're like, yeah, when I fast, you know, bread is okay. And you're like, I wish I could have bread. <laughs> or, or you, you know, you may be like, oh, you know, I never go to those places. Like, whatever it is, the, the, 
there's these areas in our lives where we are sacrificing and we expect for everyone else's faith to be sincere, that they should be sacrificing the same thing. And when they are not, we find ourselves frustrated. I don't know if you've ever found yourself... <laughs> Owen, did that one? <laughs> what is it that you're sacrificing? Oh, no, I'm teasing, teasing, sorry. Nice white shoes though, you're looking good. What, what is it that gets you a little bit frustrated about the freedom or the liberty of other Christians around you. John's disciples and the Pharisees, they're like polar opposites in some ways, find themselves united in their frustration with Jesus and his disciples. Jesus, look at us. We are trying really hard here. Jesus, look at us. We are giving up so much here for God. And look at you, do you care? Are, are you taking this seriously? What's your deal? Why are your, you and your disciples have your feet up like you're going to a party? Jesus, in response to that question, gives us three pictures. He gives us three related images. He tells three essentially small parables answering the question about fasting. And they three parables that Jesus tells to try and highlight that they've misunderstood the nature of the kingdom. Jesus is trying to highlight their question about fasting has caused them to misunderstand what, who Jesus is and the nature of the kingdom that he's come to bring. And the first picture that he gives is a picture of a wedding. He tells the story of a bridegroom. He says, he says to, to, to them, he says, you know, should the guests of the bridegroom fast while the bridegroom is with them? He's giving us a picture of a wedding. And a wedding is a celebration. I, I quite enjoy doing weddings because weddings are very forgiving. You know, when you preach at a wedding, no one remembers the sermon. Like, they don't care. <laughs> They're so happy. They're, they, they are in bliss. Like, weddings are these happy moments. You can get up and they're just like, whatever. Oh, your eyes, so beautiful. Like, I mean, I know I'm taking it too far. Pardon? Miles was just like, I'm getting sunburned. Can you hurry up? <laughs> this sermon's gone on too long. What did he say? <laughs> but weddings are forgiven because there's so much joy. You know, people go to a wedding, they're generally happy. I don't know, I myself haven't been, you may have been, um, which means it's probably quite a rare thing, but there's not many unhappy weddings. There's not many weddings you go to and you're like, you're like, who killed the life here? Like, happies are general, weddings are generally joyous moments. they moments of celebration where the community comes together to celebrate the union of a couple, to celebrate the joy of love, to celebrate families coming together. 
They are great moments. Jesus' first picture, we'll get back to this, is a picture of a wedding. The second picture that Jesus gives is a picture of clothes. He tells a story about clothes. And he says this, he says, you know, no one takes new cloth and sews it onto an old garment. He's essentially, wow, that got a little hard there, sorry guys. He's essentially highlighting to us, he's following on the picture of wedding. What do you do when you go to a wedding? You get dressed up. You get dressed up. Some people buy new clothes. Fixing up an old garment, in one sense, is inappropriate for the occasion. We'll get to this now. The third picture Jesus talks about is wine. It's wine. What do you drink at a wedding? You drink wine. Well, not just wine, but some people drink a whole lot of other stuff (laughs) that they probably shouldn't drink. I've been to a wedding before where the best man just shouldn't have drunk as much as he did before he got up to say his speech because after that it was just south. Um, But you have these three interconnected pictures. You have this picture of a wedding, which is a celebration. You have a picture of people dressing up and you have a picture of people drinking wine or new wine, the story of wine. And this is the picture that Jesus uses to combat their question, to answer their question about why are you not fasting? Like, why are you not fasting? We'll get to that now. But first, we must talk about Jesus's first miracle. In John 2, we have Jesus's first miracle. And Jesus's first miracle happens at a wedding. Jesus' first miracle happens at a wedding. And uh, if you remember the story, if you've read the story, the story goes something like this. Jesus gets invited to a wedding. His mother's at the wedding. It's a, it's a big occasion. It's obviously a wedding in the area. they family, friends, or people who they've known. They're there at this wedding. And one thing you must understand about weddings in those days is they're big deals. They are like not a one-day event. This is not like I'm getting dressed up to go to the wedding in the afternoon and I hope it finishes semi-early because I still need to get back and sleep. This is none of this stuff. Like when they went to a wedding, it was a seven-day occasion. Like a wedding's a big deal. Seven days, how do you handle that? Like seven days, it's a long period, a long period of celebration. People would have traveled from far to be there. Uh, They go through all the kind of things uh, that they do at that time, but it's a big communal celebration that happens over a prolonged period of time. And then what happens in this instance in, in John chapter two is they run out of wine. Now, it would have been an insult to everyone who has traveled and come from far if the hosts have run out of wine. So what does Jesus' mom do? Well, for some reason, she thinks Jesus is the solution. So she comes to Jesus and says, hey, Jesus, they've run out of wine. (laughs) Don't know about you, but like there's a part that I would be like, cool. Like, what? 
Jesus' mom comes to, to Jesus, says, Jesus, they've run out of wine. Like, this is your problem, Jesus. Solve it, essentially. And Jesus says, says woman, do you not know that my time has not come yet? And we'll talk about why that's significant just now. But then he goes and he says to the, the waiters who are serving the wine, get these drums, fill them up with water, and then take a cup of this water out to the MC, to the host of the thing. And uh, these drums that Jesus fills up, they're not like small drums. It works out to about 750 liters of water that Jesus turns into wine. 700 and 50 liters of water. That is 1,000 bottles of wine. Like, that is a serious amount of wine that Jesus makes. Like, crazy amount. If you saw, went to a party and there were 1,000 bottles of wine, you would think someone's got a problem. Like, that's your immediate thought. Jesus makes a lot of wine and they take the wine to, to the MC and the MC sips the wine and as he sips the wine, he says to the bridegroom, doesn't say to the MC or anyone else, he says to the bridegroom, most people serve the best wine first. And the reason why they serve the best wine first is because that's when most people can taste wine the best is before they've reached that moment of a little bit of tipsiness and all wine starts tasting the same. Like, but he goes and he says, what? Most people serve the best wine first, but you, you have saved the best to last, till now. What is going on in the story? Don't you think that is like the absolute weirdest story? Jesus' first miracle is about making a tipsy party have more wine. And like, it's, it's an absolutely crazy story. But what we learn from the story is this, is that Jesus is once again highlighting the nature of the kingdom. The kingdom is going to be like a wedding. And Jesus is going to bring the wine. Talking of the Holy Spirit. When he says, woman, don't you know my time has not come yet? What is he saying? He's saying, my time, my time for suffering, my time for pain, the time when I lay down my life. For it will be through his own sacrifice that the outpouring of the Spirit will come, that will inaugurate the wedding of the kingdom. Often when we think of Christianity, the words that we think of can be robes, or the pictures that we get can be robes, can be stained glasses, can be Silent buildings can be austere people praying. But the pictures Jesus gives the most about the wedding are feasts about the kingdom that are not related to plants like seed. Is feasts, invite people to this party or as one parable, invite the wedding guests to the wedding or Jesus at this wedding or Jesus now answering the question about fasting. 
he is telling them something about the nature of the kingdom. And the kingdom is a kingdom of celebration and a kingdom of joy. The kingdom is a kingdom of celebration and a kingdom of joy. What's amazing is uh, they so valued weddings at those times. Uh, they so valued weddings that when you were invited to a wedding to this seven day period, um, you were exempt from all religious and civil duties. So, you know, if you had a civil duty and you were going to a wedding, you were exempt from it. If you were in an area that was fasting during that time, but you were invited to a wedding, you were exempt from fasting. You were exempt from all civil and religious duties for, so that you could go and celebrate with the bride and the bridegroom. So this is a picture that the Pharisees and John the Baptist would know. Hey, it's a wedding. Okay, that makes sense. You're not fasting. But the thing that they don't understand is Jesus is saying, hey, it's a wedding, but you, you've missed why it's a wedding, because I'm here. That's what he's saying to them. The bridegroom has arrived. I have arrived. And because I am here, it is an inappropriate response for my disciples to be fasting. It's an inappropriate response for my disciples to be down, to, to be because the king has rocked up. The bridegroom has arrived. The kingdom has been inaugurated. Jesus is present. And because he's present, the appropriate response is one of celebration, of joy. Of community getting together to be excited about the king, the bridegroom, Jesus. The picture of the kingdom is not a picture of dourness or religiousness. It's a picture of celebration and joy. When we think of church, when we think of the kingdom of God, there should be some part of us that thinks about joy in that process. It's part of the reason why I get excited when Harbor City is not quiet all the time. Because you know, sometimes Harbor City is very quiet. I don't know if you've noticed that. Like we can be super quiet. And then Owen breaks the silence, which is amazing, like he did earlier. And then you're like, oh, thank you. Because like, church doesn't need to be a place of like austere reverence. Church is a place of sincere joy. The king has arrived. The bridegroom is with us. By his spirit, he has come. And that changes the nature of the event that we're at. Paul says this in, in Romans 14. He says, for the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. And uh, Paul is not saying something contrary to what we've seen, where Jesus is telling all these pictures about 
weddings and wine and food and stuff like that. He's not saying, guys, the kingdom does not involve food and wine and stuff like that. He's not saying that. What was going on in Romans 14 when you read the whole passage is they arguing about what food they can eat. It's like they've got back to John's disciples and the Pharisees again. Here they are, they're coming together and they're going, how can you eat that? How can you eat that? I'm more religious than you, you know, like I don't eat that. Oh, you, oh, you eat bacon. Like, you know, like there's these arguments that are going on about what they are eating and Paul's like, why are you arguing about what you're eating? Like what is going on? Like, how did we get to this point where this is what we're arguing about? As if the nature of the kingdom is nitpicking about what we give up and do and what someone else gives up or doesn't do. What is he saying? He's saying the nature of the kingdom is this, righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. Stop nitpicking. Stop fussing. Stop worrying about what Owen does. (laughs) Sorry, Owen, I'm picking on you. Or Miles' slops. Because the kingdom is not in those things. The kingdom is in the reality of Christ who has come to man. Church is the celebration of the coming king. The king who has come and is coming and through his Holy Spirit is here now. And so, Jesus, when John's disciples and the Pharisees come to him, and they're like, why are you not fasting? He answers them with these three pictures to essentially say it would be inappropriate for my disciples to fast right now because I am with them. What Jesus is not saying is that they won't fast at some point. He's not saying that. He says at some point they will fast, but their fasting is not one of religious obligation. Their fasting, as one theologian puts it, is a new hunger after God. It's the kind of fasting that happens when someone who you love goes away for a long period of time and you find yourself not eating. It is, it is in one sense, the discipline of our devotion. It is the discipline of our own desires after the most important person in our lives. I wanna just finish with this and then I'll tell you why I'm dressed up today. The three illustrations highlight this kind of word, incompatibility. There's an incompatibility between old wineskins and new wine. There's an incompatibility between an old garment and new cloth. There's an incompatibility between fasting and weddings. There's an incompatibility. Jesus highlights to John's disciples and the Pharisees that there is an incompatibility between some of what they've got gripped by in the old and some of the new that Christ has come 
to bring. There's an incompatibility between trying to mix their religious fanaticism and the joy of the kingdom. There's an incompatibility to the austere approach of the Pharisees and the joy of Jesus. There's an incompatibility between the religious, ritualistic fasting and the celebration of the kingdom life. There's an incompatibility between the new wine, the pouring out of God's spirit and the old wineskins, as we find out, of Judaism. It does not mean that Jesus doesn't come in the line of the old. It means that there's an incompatibility between the old and the new when the new comes. Tim Keller says this, this liberates us to understand that sometimes when God moves in new ways amongst us, we are free to give up old ways of doing things. I don't know what Harbor City will look like when a new move of God happens amongst us and the Spirit of God comes upon us. But at some point, if we want to move with what God is doing with us, there has to be a giving up of the old ways of doing things. And that's the same with our own lives. Sometimes God comes upon your life and he gives you joy. And there's an incompatibility between how you lived before and how you will live when God grips your heart. As we know through, through church history, there's an incompatibility between Gnosticism or Stoicism or all of these kind of philosophical views that try and impose their thing on Jesus. There's an incompatibility between the old ways and what Christ has brought to us. I'm not sure where you're at this morning. But when God moves upon your life, there may be some areas of your life that are incompatible with the old, with the new. There may be some things that you give up not because of obligation, things that you give up because they're just incompatible with the joy and the life of the kingdom of God coming into our lives. I wore this today as an illustration. And the illustration is this, is that when you go to a wedding you often dance, unless you don't like dancing, but you know, you know what happens, people dance, they're free, they have some fun. People get on the dance floor, they do their thing, you don't wanna see me, Eww. I empty dance floors. Um, so, but um, we were at Miles and Heather's wedding last year and uh, my kids were at the wedding and they were getting like so tired. Ruby was like, head hitting the table she was tired through the speeches and then the music came on ruby like sat straight up was like <gasps> ran to the dance floor and like danced for two hours and i was like yo she i mean she kind of looked at us was like what have you been holding back 
from me for my whole life, you know, like I have arrived, this is what I've been waiting for. And Ruby just starts and, you know, like doing her, her little thing at, at the wedding. But wedding, you know, like you get dressed up, you dance, you have fun. There's this funny thing about being serious and joyful at the same time. Joy does not take away from the seriousness of the kingdom. Getting we don't go to weddings in our like, you know, our comfortable clothes. I mean, miles might, but most of us don't go to weddings in our like tracksuit pants. You know, like those ones that you like watch Netflix in for the whole afternoon and eat ice cream and spill the chips or whatever on. Like those comfortable pants. Like when we get invited to a wedding, we don't go, oh yeah, my comfortable tracksuit pants. Get to wear those today. We take it seriously. We get dressed up. Maybe we put on something new. It's a special occasion. But it's a celebration. You can wear the same clothes to a job interview, which is an extremely anxious occasion, and a wedding but they're two significantly different moments. One is a celebration of love and joy and community. One is a picture of the kingdom. Christ comes for his bride, the church, and we celebrate. We go, when we go out now, I've asked the guys to play a bit of music, got some fruit juice and Sprite mixed up. And my hope is that we'll go and drink something. We're gonna eat some snacks also in honor of the Mother's Day. We're gonna eat some snacks. We're gonna have your fruit juice and lemonade. No wine today, guys. I thought, you know, 12 o'clock, 11 o'clock wine, probably not a good idea. Um, but my hope is this, that next time you see someone dressed up, Next time you go to a wedding, next time you pour yourself a glass of wine, you remember the nature of the kingdom is not one of dour religiousness. It's one of the celebration of joy, of peace that comes because God comes and because he's come, it changes the dynamics of everything. I know not everyone likes this, but I quite enjoy Harry Potter. And um, in Harry Potter, you have this picture of this principal, Dumbledore. And one of the things that I love about Dumbledore is he's quite fun. He's quite naughty. He, quite, he likes a celebration. Often when we think of God, we think of God as an old guy who is very austere, very hard, and waiting for you to go wrong instead of an old guy like Dumbledore who enjoys the party. The kingdom of God, Jesus tells us, is best pictured not by fasting, not by quiet churches with people kneeling in them. The kingdom of God is best pictured in the pictures of new clothes, new wine, and weddings. And so when you get new clothes, you drink 
pour yourself a glass of wine, or you go to a wedding, let's remind ourselves of this moment in Jesus' story, this moment in Jesus' interaction, that the kingdom is a celebration of joy because God has come amongst us. Can I pray? Lord, I pray for all of us this morning. I think of some of us that just the thought of joy pains us because of the place that we are in our lives right now. Oh Lord, I pray that you by your Holy Spirit would come upon them. As your word says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the God of all comfort, the Father of all mercies, who comforts us when we mourn so that we can comfort others with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. Lord, I pray for those who are struggling with mourning, with downness, with anxiety, that you would come by your presence, your spirit, and you would comfort them in that moment. Your word says that we shouldn't be anxious, not just because we should just get over it, but because you are near, because you are present, you are close, the Lord is near. Do not be anxious. You, Lord, are near in our lives and it is your arrival that changes the dynamics of our lives. It is the fact that you, Jesus, are with your disciples that they are to celebrate instead of fast. It is your presence, the arrival of you by your Holy Spirit in our lives that changes the nature of our lives, that changes. Our lives from being dourness to joy, to celebration. Lord, I pray for every one of us that the next time we are invited to a wedding or even if we get new clothes or pour ourselves a glass of wine at the end of the day, I pray, Lord, that you would remind us that your kingdom comes with celebration and joy, that we are invited to a meal, to a feast, to a celebration and that we would celebrate with you. In Jesus' name, I pray.